So good to be here. It's so good to give my dear friend and elder brother Dave a, a break after he's uh, so faithfully labored for you guys for weeks and weeks. And uh, it's good to have him here and get to preach to him and to you guys. Um, I think I'll reference this later, but I can't, I can't ever come here uh, and preach and not, not just be amazed and respect how the Lord has even written, not even, how the Lord has written this congregation and in my story and written um, me into this congregation story. So um, I'll talk a little bit about, about that in a second because it's, it's been a while since I've been here. But um, So I have currently, right now, and then probably for the last 16 years, have been working on my patio outside my house. Um, it's definitely not been 16 years, but what we're about to read is, is an entire wall-building effort that supposedly happened in 52 days. So I already feel really small and insignificant compared to what we're about to read and what we're about to look at. But we're in this series in the book of Nehemiah um, and, and looking at this incredible story of the Lord calling his people back to a city that had been destroyed, back to uh, uh, an entire existence, an entire reality, an entire, an entire identity that had been decimated. And they're now back, and they're now um, working out what does it mean to rebuild? What does it mean to be back? And so this chapter that we're in in particular is where it really gets fun and really gets exciting. Uh, and you guys are going to be laughing in a couple minutes when I start to read, because it might not sound like anything exciting, because it is a list we're about to read chapter 3 of the book of Nehemiah, and it's one of these passages in Scripture that gets overlooked because it's literally just a list of names and a list of what these people did. But what it was that they did is the thing that this is pointing to, not even them in particular. Um, and so as I read this, um, I'm going to ask you just, just try to lean into this, try not to check out, because there are times in Scripture that the whole is teaching you something that even the little parts don't teach. Like you sitting under and hearing this chapter read is supposed to show you something. It's going to be teaching you before I even open my mouth to explain it. Um, so I'm going to invite you in. If you're an expectant mother or father and you're, you know, you're looking for baby names, you're about to hear about 100 ancient Israelite examples uh, for, for new babies. So get your pen ready. Um, but we're going to begin. This is uh, the book of Nehemiah, chapter 3. And I'll be reading in the NIV. Eliashib, the high priest... And his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and they set its doors in place, building as far as the tower of the hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zachar, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section, and next to him, Meshullam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshizabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Bana, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Then Jeshana, or excuse me, the Jeshana gate was repaired by Joida, son of Paseah, and Meshullam, son of Basodia. They laid its beams and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah, Malati of Gibeon and Jadon of Maranoth, places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Uziel, son of Harhiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, 
made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Rephiah, son of Hur, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. And adjoining this, Jediah, son of Harumaph, made repairs opposite his house. And Hattush, son of Hashabniah, made repairs next to him. Am I doing all right? All right, let's keep going. Melchijah, it's not over. Melchijah, son of Harim, and Hashub, son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section and the tower of the ovens. Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. Verse 13, the valley gate was repaired by Hanun and the residents of Zenoah. They rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. They also repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Let's skip to verse 22. The repairs next to him were made by the priests from the surrounding region. Beyond them, Benjamin and Hashub made repairs in front of their houses. And next to them, Azariah, son of Messiah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs beside his house. Next to him, Benui, son of Hanadad, repaired another section from Azariah's house to the angle and the corner. And Palal, son of Uzai, worked opposite the angle and the tower, projecting from the upper palace near the court of the guard. And next to him, Padiah, son of Parosh, and the temple servants living on the hill of Ophel, made repairs up to a point opposite the wall gate toward the east and the projecting tower. Next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired another section from the great projecting tower to the wall of Ophel. And verse 32, the final verse of the chapter says, And between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, which if you're paying attention is where it all started, the goldsmiths and the merchants made repairs. Let me pray. Lord, um, <laughs> illumine, illuminate this, uh, this passage of Scripture. Um, literally, Lord, shine, shine lights on uh, the story and, and the significance of what it was that you were doing through all these men and women that we just heard read about. And do that, Lord, so that um, these aren't just interesting historical characters we get to spend 20 minutes looking at, but, but do it because we ourselves are historical characters. Uh, we're the ones alive and breathing today that have been given the charge of building your wall. We are these names, Lord, and so um, speak to us. And thank you that you promise your word is always capable and, uh, and effective to do that. So in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, one of you was destined to read that passage, but was uh, plucked from that uh, task by me who decided to read it. So I don't know who it was, but somebody can take a deep breath so they didn't have to go through that. Um, hopefully you got some baby names. Um, so last week, last week Dave took us through chapter two, and there were, there were kind of two main points that were, were, were made in that passage from chapter two. One is when um, Nehemiah looks at the people and he says, come on, let's rebuild, right? He says, come on, like, like let, let, me, let me tell you this vision I have for what I want to do. Come and rebuild with me. And then they respond, we will rebuild. And so what's really fun about this morning is we get to read that very first line where it says, they went to work. So this is them now going to work to do the work that we were talking about last week. And so let me start with this question. What was this work that they were doing? Do we got the, uh, the, the picture on the screen? I'm going to play teacher here for a minute. All right, class. Uh, this is the city of Jerusalem, as far as we know, as it would have looked like 
after this rebuilding effort. So the city of Jerusalem, after the time of David, and during what we kind of think of as the monarchy of Israel, would have grown to, you know, to be this kind of whole area. There would have been a lot more houses, a lot more walls. There's actually a wall that went all the way around here. But this is obviously, um, this is kind of like, you know, I know my stepdad was working um, to do some uh, cleanup work at, uh, in Waverly during the flood, and he was talking about how a lot of times when people came back, it was just, can I just get one room livable, right? Like there's, everything's destruction. Can I at least get my bedroom livable so I have some place with a roof over my head? This is kind of them getting their bedroom livable, right? It wasn't what Jerusalem once was. It wasn't the glory that was the former kingdom of Israel, but it was considerable. This wall would have been on average 40 feet tall, 40 feet. I don't even have, I should have brought a tape measure to give you a sense of what 40 feet would have been. And it would have been about 12, this is even more impressive, it would have been about 12 feet thick. So thick enough for an entire army, you know, an entire column of chariots to be marching around on top of the wall. So 40 feet tall, 12 feet thick. I'm not exactly sure how long. We don't really know exactly. This is the best they could guess on, on you know, following this account and figuring out what it looked like. But we don't know exactly how long. But you see, as it talked about, you know, these sections of walls, like so-and-so repaired opposite their house for a certain section, and then you got the gates coming through. So it was literally starting, the sheep gate would have been right here by the temple. So this is the temple mount. The sheep gate would have been right there. And this account that we just read started at the sheep gate, went all the way around, and then finished at the sheep gate. And so we, we just read, I mean, I didn't read every single verse for you, but we just read an account of the complete effort from start to finish of rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. So when they said, we will rebuild with you, and then this, verse in, uh, this chapter in verse 1 says, they went to work, that was the work that they were doing. They were building walls, they were building gates, they were building towers. Essentially, they were rebuilding not just the wall of the city, and this is an interesting point, not just the wall of the city, but a lot of the structure of the city itself. At this time, cities... The city and the life of the city was incorporated into its walls. It wasn't just a wall. There were rooms in the walls. People oftentimes had houses in the walls. The walls weren't just the outer boundary or the barrier. They were, they were hugely important to how the city functioned. Notice one of the towers was called the Tower of the Ovens, right? That was where all the pizza in the city was made. Literally, they think that that was where the bread of the city was baked, in this Tower of the Ovens that was part of the wall. So it was, it was hugely important Let's talk about walls and gates for a second, just to kind of frame our mind a little, bit around, a, a little bit around this work that they were doing. What are walls? Walls are for safety and security, right? They're, they're boundaries so that what happens in the walls can be safe, can, can thrive, and can flourish. They keep the bad out. Hopefully, they keep the good in. You know, th- this is what kept your family safe at this time, Right? And what are gates? Gates are interesting because they're, they're, the, they're the main arteries of city life. They're, they're where things happened in the city. There's a, a, an amazing passage, even in the book of Proverbs, where it describes wisdom like a person. And if you're wisdom and you're a person, where do you go? Well, in Proverbs, it says, wisdom cries aloud in the city gates. Gates were where people gathered. Gates were where if you wanted to have a community meeting, you'd say, hey, meet me at the fish gate, right? Meet me at the sheep gate. Probably not meet me at the Dung Gate, right? I don't know if there's many community meetings happening at the, at the Dung Gate, but that was one of the gates. 
lot of times the gates would have rooms built into them for the leaders and the elders of the city to gather and do the business of the city, to, to, to even make judgments on um, legal issues. So this is hugely important work. It's, it's hugely necessary work. This wasn't just for the honor of the city of Jerusalem. This was for the functioning of the people of Jerusalem. So it was important work. It was also very dangerous work. If we don't get it so much in this chapter, we'll get it in some other chapters. There's a few hints at it when it talks about even the men of Tekoa who were there working, but their nobles weren't participating in the work. It gives us a little hint that there was a lot of, uh, of tension going on during this rebuilding. This was not an entire unified nation working together to rebuild. It was an entire unified community working together to rebuild, but within the middle of what actually was enemy territory. When the Jews returned from Babylon, they were not even going back to their own home. They were going back to uh, a conquered land, land that was conquered by their enemies. And so it was also very dangerous work. And so those two things together, the, the importance of the work, and the danger of the work, it, it begins to hint at why I think we have this list. You know, I'm sure many of us were turning on our, our TVs um, a couple weeks ago and were remembering uh, the events of September 11th. And one of the things that, that often I, I know I saw and I even kind of brought my kids into for the first time was this kind of retelling of names, this reading of names, of lists of names of, of who, well, well, heroes is who they were. The heroes of the events of September 11th. This is a hero's list. This is, this is a list of the heroes of Israel. That's why this list was put together. Except instead of it being soldiers, instead of it being these mighty men of valor that we expect from a list of heroes, who is it? It's, it's perfumers, right? Hashana, the perfumer. It's goldsmiths. It's priests. It's daughters, right? It's sons. Everybody was mentioned as, you know, the son of so-and-so. It's, it's just a group of people that together did something heroic, did something worthy of having their name in this list. So there's two things that I want to, two points I want to make. There are two points I think this scripture, again, as a whole, not even in the individual details, but taken as a whole, there are two things, two truths that this passage teaches us about the kind of work that this group of heroes was about. Number one, it teaches us that this was collective work. And number two, this teaches us that it was collective work for a glorious future. So I want to talk to you this morning about collective work for a glorious future. So collective work, we, we know inherently, every single one of you, if I, if I made you define what a hero was, a hero is someone who does something, who saves someone other than themselves, right? That's kind of baked into this idea of a hero is they're about the work of someone other than just themselves. They're not just individuals, right? Imagine if every, uh, you know, great war movie scene of like a soldier dashing out of the foxhole to cross the field of battle to save his buddy or every, every scene of a firefighter running into a burning building. What if every one of those ended with a person saving themselves? Like the firefighter runs in and like grabs himself and pulls himself out of the building. It would be, it would be silly because that's not what heroes do. Heroes don't save themselves only. Heroes are about the work of other people. Their work, their acts, you know, the, the, the things that they do, that they put their will to, that they put their, their effort to, 
are things that aren't even directly for themselves. They're about something bigger, something different. And if we look at this list, I think this list screams that. There's no rhyme or reason to this list. If you, if you study biblical scholarship, every time a list like this exists in Scripture, scholars are always trying to figure out what's the trick, right? Like, what's the trick to understanding this? There's got to be like a hidden meaning in this list. They do that with the genealogies. They do that with lists of temple things and, and tabernacle things. And literally every other list in Scripture, scholars think they've figured out a key to understand it, except for this one. There's no explanation. There's no real rhyme or reason to why these people, why this order, why details like this. And I think it's because there's no rhyme or reason other than these were the people that came to do the work. That this was the work that they were called to do. And these aren't skilled tradespeople. Did you hear a single mason, like, like, like you know, worker of stone in this list? Did you hear a single carpenter? Did you hear a single foreman or construction uh, you know, leader? No, we got goldsmiths. I don't think this wall was plated in gold, y'all. We got perfumers. Didn't even know that would be a thing at this time. Certainly not a thing you know, that would be brought to bear to work on a wall. Right? We've got daughters, we've got sons, we've got these people. And, and the point I think that's being made is what made these people important wasn't who they were. What makes this list a list of heroes isn't the details of the individual people. It was the work that they were a part of. It was the collective work that they were a part of. What they were doing toward a greater end than themselves is what made themselves important. Does that make sense? They weren't important because of their profession. They weren't important because of their life accomplishments. They were important because they chose to participate in an important work. They put themselves towards something greater than their individual identity. And so, then, therefore, they took on a collective identity that was much greater. So you want to know what our culture today prizes, Our culture today prizes, most importantly, the individual. Brought my kids' blocks. If you notice, we had our kids decorate these. All these are, you know, unique little individual snowflakes, right? And our culture prizes that. Our culture prizes this right here, the individual. But what Scripture usually talks more about is is this, the collective, Now, when we hear that, we go, well, which is more important? Which one's more important? If if, if our culture prizes this, but Scripture tends to talk most about the work of a collective, what's more important? Well, the the answer is, is neither, right? That's not the point. The Bible does start with this. When the Bible talks about the creation of people, it starts with one person. It starts with Adam, and then it starts with another person, Eve. And so the Bible actually begins with the value, the dignity, the honor, the beauty of the individual. But here's the problem with with typically what our society does and what what, what every single one of us, no matter where you live, no matter kind of what groups you're part of, no matter what political party you're a part of, no matter where your family came from, is we have this in the water. We have this in the air of where we live today, and it's that 
because society values so much the individual and it misses the individual coming together as a collective, what tends to happen is we get an individual without a group. And so what happens when all you have is yourself? What happens when you, when you start with what the Bible begins with, which is the value of an individual, but you stay as an individual? Well, all you can do is begin to add to that, right? What's happening? It's a, it's a shaky foundation. If all I can do is go up, which is all I can do if it's all about me, if it's all about the power, the strength, the freedom, the individuality of the individual, is I keep adding things. I was watching, I wasn't watching, I read an article about the Met Gala the other day. I'm not going to pick on this one individual person. I won't even say her name. Um, But she had on, and this is just an example, so just, just go with me in this example. She had on three different dresses. There were three different components to her Met Gala dress. And each of these three components, the article was very clear to to explain, had to do with kind of these three different parts of her identity. The dress weighed 85 pounds. I promise. It was an 85-pound, three-part dress that represented three different parts of this individual person. Now just go with me metaphorically, but I don't even know how metaphorical it is. Do you think... Do you think this obsession with individuality, this obsession that we have that all the significance of my life is worn by me, do you think that's making people feel a little heavy? Do you think that's creating foundations that start to get a little shaky? Let's see how high I can go, right? How much money I've got, my personal, my personal uh, you know, net worth, the, the personal accomplishments that I make in my life, how much personal influence I have in my life. My children, right? All these things. Wow, I'm kind of surprised how this is going. (laughs) It starts to become very, very shaky. And the more we add to it, you read and you imagine, you see people these days. How are we feeling? How are all of us feeling? Yeah. Like we got a lot going on that we're running really, really fast, that we're building really, really high. And what this is a picture of, again, is not dismissing the value of the individual, but this is a picture of individuals coming together to build something not taller, not on top of themselves as individuals, but wider, but stronger, but linked together. All these beautiful, dignified, powerful individuals coming together to work towards something better. When you worship the individual, when you hold individual freedom and significance as the highest value, you get stuck with only so far to go. Your walls need to go out as well as up. You got to build walls, not just a tower. And these walls are walls of relationship. These walls are walls of community. They're walls of connection to other people and to the Lord. And so last week, Dave asked us, who are we building or what are we building, right? What is it, what is it that you're putting your effort to? And so my question this week is, who are you building with? Is your work a part of a collective? Is it with and for other people as well as for yourself? And let me just tell you, if you're wondering whether that's true, and you're here this morning, then the answer is yes. 
you are doing it with other people because the collective that God gives his people is the church. That is the collective. This collective work that made these people heroes. This work they did that was important, not because they were important, but because together what they were doing was important. That is the work of the church. Why do you think the Bible describes the church in these ways? A family. A body. It describes the church like a large spreading vine with all these branches. It describes it like a city and a temple. And I got to tell you guys, it is not, it is no miss for me to stand here and remember that what I'm doing in Napier, what Midtown is doing, planting a, a congregation in the inner city, started here. Not every single one of you were around, but my, me and my family incubated within Creve Hall. Before I was even a pastor, I was attending this congregation. I was building this particular wall before the Lord had me go build another part of the wall. And so I get to come back to this place and say, we're doing it. This is the collective work that we're doing. Midtown at Creve Hall, Midtown at 12 South, Granny White, East, West, and now Napier. And that's just Midtown. What about every single other church in the city, the the 15 that I pass driving here that are preaching the gospel this morning, where Jesus is being proclaimed, where men and women and children are being sent out to do the work of ministry? So the work of heroes is collective work. But the work of heroes is also the work for something. It's for a glorious future. Because that's also true of heroes' work. So not only is the work of a hero something where they're not just about saving themselves, we also know heroes' work is work that's done for something that's even bigger than the thing that they did. When you call something heroic, when you see something and say, that was heroic, I think you understand, every single one of us understands that there's significance to that work that's bigger than just the very thing that happened. And so I think we see this in our passage, one place where we see all the names of people who repaired right outside their front door. Do you notice that? I, I, partic- I, I specifically tried to include as many of those as possible in this reading. Most of the people that are listed on this list that did work it says they did their work right in front of their house. And so we have this this picture, these different kind of layers of understanding in this text that show us the work that we do as the church is work that expands bigger than just the particular work we're called to do. When it says that Meshullam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezebel, went and worked right outside his front door. What that's saying is every day when he would leave his house to go to work, he was looking at the part of the wall that he was called to repair. But you better bet, he didn't believe that it was only his part of the wall that was important. Imagine if he said, you know what, I want to paint my wall pink, so I'm not going to be part of any of this other wall. I'm just going to paint my own little wall. I'm going to build my own little wall. It's not going to connect to anything else. Then what's going to happen? That part of the city would have a huge gap in it, right? There would just be his little wall, and so when enemies came to attack, they would go right around his wall, and they would be in the city. It would be silly to imagine that he only focused on the work that was right in front of him. And so, yes, he worked on a particular part, and his part was right outside his front door, but that was connected to this whole wall that started, remember, started at the sheep gate and ended back up at the sheep gate. 
And so the work of us as a church, the work of this collective, might look very individual. It might look very much like the work inside my own home, or right outside my own home, or right in my own place of work. But we know, just like they knew, that as I do this work, I am building a piece. I'm part of something that's connected and is much bigger than is the work of the church. And for these Jews doing this work, let me just tell you, they didn't just see this work as building a single wall. They didn't even see this work as building just a particular city. Because Jerusalem was called the city of God. So they believed, they knew that God's promises to his people, his promise to be with his people, to to shepherd his people, to give his people a home, to give them an identity, that was all caught up in this idea of the city of Jerusalem. And so it wasn't just the work of building a city wall, it was the work of building on God's promises to his people. That when they were putting their hands at the effort of building walls, what they were doing is participating in the work God had promised to do in them, to give them a home, to give them an identity. And what they didn't know, please don't miss this, what they didn't know was that one day there wasn't really going to be a Jerusalem and that Jesus was going to say, you know what, it's not in the, in the walls of the temple that you find me, it's in my very body. And it's not within the walls of Jerusalem that you find my people. My people are everywhere. Because the church is now the experience of Jerusalem, what they were building. Jesus came and said, you know what? My people are not an ethnic, a single ethnic group anymore. They're not a single group of people that live in one city. They're people scattered all over the world. And when we go to heaven, every single one of us is going to be standing next to men and women who built that wall in Nehemiah's day. Because we will be in heaven, in the new Jerusalem, with Jesus, together with all his people. That includes even them. So when you you do your wall-building work, when you put yourself to the work of Midtown Creve Hall, when you put yourself to the work of Midtown Creve Hall, but as someone who works in finance or someone who works in the music industry, when you put yourself to the work of all these things, building your family, you are building the very kingdom of God. Just like they knew, I'm not just putting bricks on a wall to build this one city. You also know I'm not even just changing diapers. I'm not even just, you know, balancing these accounts. I'm doing work that I know is how God is building his entire kingdom for all his people. So to close, um, in John 5, 17, Jesus says this. He says, my father is always working, and I too am working. So let us not forget that in this list of heroes, in this list of workers, Jesus is the hero and Jesus is the worker. And the work that he's doing, yes, is grand, yes, is huge, right? Yes, is this building of his entire kingdom that he's inviting us into. But the work that Jesus is doing, just like for these individual people, it has very individual effects. You, your heart, is his wall. Okay, the the work that Jesus does is unimaginably grand and powerful, and yet it's also incredibly personal and significant to you. 
So as you, as you go, right, as you think about what does it mean for me to be part of this Midtown Creve Hall community? What does it mean for me to be part of this community of Nashville with all the other Christians in it? Remember, the work Jesus is doing is the work that starts this. And the work he's doing begins in your own heart. It's most fundamentally, it's most specifically, and I think to him, it's most preciously the work that he does in you. So 2 Corinthians 5 says, Christ was reconciling the world to himself, and he was giving us a ministry of reconciliation. Christ was repairing the whole world to himself. He's repairing the whole walls to himself, and he's giving you the ministry of repairing. He's repairing you to strengthen others. He's repairing you to fortify others. He's repairing you to protect others. And I'm excited that I get to see you here as part of this Creve Hall community because it, me- it means a lot of that starts here. And so as Dave and Hal and this team begin to lead all of us and what does that look like and lead you and specifically what does that look like for Creve Hall, um, I'm excited to see you go with them. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you. Um, thank you that uh, when you left heaven, I mean, in many ways, you, you came down to do the building work that we just saw these men and women doing. And I know they felt incredibly ill-equipped. I'm sure the perfumers and the goldsmiths and the daughters of that one man felt particularly ill-equipped to do this building work. But Lord, let us remember um, that, that you are the one strengthening our hearts for this work. That the work you're calling us to do is, is able to be done because you are at work in us. You're bringing us to yourself. You're repairing the broken relationships that every one of us have with you. And it's at that same time that you call us to go out, not just as individuals, but locking arms with each other as a collective to do the, the, the glorious future kingdom-building work that you're about. So thank you for Midtown Creve Hall. Thank you for um, the Midtown community. Thank you for your church scattered all over the world. Um, I look forward uh, to, get, to getting to see what it is that you do in this little community here and how to partner with it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.